This is The Guardian. Hi, I'm Alex Gorman, and this is Save for Later from Guardian Australia. I'm Michael Sun, and we are currently surrounded by cardboard boxes, Alex. We are. We're surrounded by cardboard boxes and... Old sweaters. Branded pillows, because we are in the same room. This feels so freaking strange. And the room is not on Zoom. It's also kind of strange because Steph um, is not here today. Yes, unfortunately, she is busy doing one of her several hundred other jobs. This week, brands continue to do the absolute most, and by most, I mean most cursed. They are speaking to us and to each other, but with personhood comes the politics of identity. So we've brought in the head of editorial at Vice, Brad Esposito, to talk to us about why Taco Bell won't stop DMing us and why Ruji has asked me to become one of them. Okay, but seriously, like Taco Bell, like, stop DMing us. Then Michael's going to give me a crash course in Snapchat etiquette, which is something I need now more than ever after learning about the absolutely insane expectations of friendship that come from this platform. And of course, in our everyday lives, we rank all the content that we see, assign it a score and add it to a list. At the end of the show, we will tell you what tops that list. Alex, it is that time of year again where we love to celebrate consumerism. It's brand Christmas. It's our own personal hell. I am, of course, talking about Black Friday, which happened last week and is continuing to this week with a barrage of emails from corporate brands left, right and centre. Yes, they're in our emails, they're in our texts, they're up in our DMs and in amongst the 20% off and down, down screaming. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. There are also some that are weirdly personal, which got us thinking about the all-time greatest of personal unhinged brand emails, the US sexy French girl wrap dress brand Reformation, whose email headlines deserve a dramatic reading. They are famously manic and completely unhinged. And I feel like I first learned about them because they were all compiled by my favorite writer, American writer, Hunter Harris. Um, they're also all in all caps, which means they all read like they're being shouted at you over a sweaty dance floor at a nightclub. Gird your loins, get ready to be negged by a rap dress. Your boss is at the club. Do you even go out? You're not Italian. Doing nothing in a hot tub. We want to touch your feet. That one was selling sandals, by the way. And finally, dysfunctional families. Not giving context for that one. 
But this trend isn't just happening in our inboxes. Brands also seem to have a life of their own online to help us kind of understand the very cursed world of brands. We have brought in Brad Esposito, who's currently head of editorial at Vice Australia and New Zealand, hosts the interview newsletter Very Fine Day, and previously worked at Australian brand engine Eucalyptus, as well as BuzzFeed, and is just a very online person. So he understands both sides of this uncomfortable problem. Yeah, it's great to be here. To get things off, I would like to know, what is like the most cursed brand interaction or brand voice that we've seen online? Do you want me to start? Yes, please. So very recently, Burger King UK uh, (laughs) tweeted out um, what was intended to be a series of girl boss, girl power tweets, like a tweet thread. Mm -hmm. But the first tweet they put out was, women belong in the kitchen. <laughs> and then there were all the other tweets they were going to be like, but actually they don't get paid enough. Like they were going to break it all down, which they did. But of course what happened was you had like 100,000 far right lunatics, like just retweak Burger King UK mm-hmm. saying that. And I think that's just like such a good microcosm of brand personality becoming not what is intended, probably for anyone involved. They've yeah. clearly never seen the stats about the hospitality industry and who gets to make it to head chef because <laughs> yeah. women belong in the kitchen when you're talking about hospo actually is a surprisingly girl boss statement. <laughs> I also want to just give a quick shout out to some certain brands which have been leaning hard into this very like shit posting, jokey kind of voice and as a result producing incredibly cursed sentences like this one. So Taylor Swift recently announced Red, Taylor's version obviously, and there were many replies on her TikTok announcement including this one from American Lung Association who says, really testing our lung capacity with this album. NASCAR replies, the S in NASCAR officially stands for Swift. Mm. Um, what does the C stand for? <laughs> um, the C stands for share. It's giving share. Um, and Duolingo <laughs> replied, this owl ain't okay. <laughs> and I think it's something that we're becoming more and more aware of as well. Like I remember very recently seeing a tweet where Doja Cat had asked, being like, being like, what are you doing? And Taco Bell replied saying, chilling, eating a chalupa, minding our business, you? And Doja Cat quote tweeted saying, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so it, I think it, it really has entered our cultural consciousness now that everyone is on the same page, that brands are bad and their tone of voice is evil. And yet it's still happening. But unfortunately with that, I think the uh, social media manager of Taco Bell probably hit their KPIs by copying a quote tweet from Doja Cat, even if it was negative. Totally. That looks good on the slideshow at the end of the month. Celebrity engagement. Yeah, yeah. Earned media. The other part of that is like also when brand Twitter accounts have personal identity or at least an individual behind them speaking in first person. And like, I always think about Amazon recently, one of their accounts, when, remember when all, all that news came out about the, it continues to come out, but all the factory workers not getting time off, not getting paid enough. And then as a result of all those things, like peeing in bottles and stuff. And this kind of was passed around Twitter as, a, oh, Amazon workers are having to pee in bottles. And they tweeted out being like, I'm sorry, but if you think this is the truth, then you're being silly, like something so patronising. And then, of course, what happened is everyone just tweeted pictures of bottles of piss to, to, to this Amazon account. Um, Hashtag yeah. put your piss out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of exactly. course. Uh, <laughs> but this personalization, right, like I always thought that this was a recent development in brand online voices because it seems like something that's quite contemporary. But as we did more digging into this topic, I was actually kind of shocked to find out that 
since the very first days of brand Twitter, it's always been semi-personalised in a way. So, like, as, as early as in 2009, brands had already started humanising in this very first-person sense. One of KFC's first tweets says, going to watch a little college basketball. I'm told I'm kind of an expert on buckets. Yeah, so it's it's gone through a few phases, right? Like, as you mentioned, there was this early Twitter period that I think is culturally significant because it also represented we still had a separation between online and offline and we still appreciated them differently. And this was also like Obama era America and America is the internet, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, less so as we move forward, but back then certainly. And so everyone was quite positive. So brands were kind of given permission to be a bit more like KFC, uh, we know everything about buckets or like Taco (laughs) Bell tweeting celebrities. Like in 2013, Taco Bell tweeting a celebrity, say, like I don't know, Brad Pitt, who doesn't have Twitter, but say he'd just respond being like, love your Taco Bell. And everyone would be like, yeah, awesome. And then I think like we came into this like next stage of things, which was like 2013, 2014, where this idea of like digital power and being able to hold people to account and being able to no longer deal with, um, I guess, like a lack of transparency, like not having to play along with the funny gags really like took off. And with that came this like real negativity, I'd say, in a lot of ways towards brand Twitter. You had people suddenly being like, I hate you, Burger King, or like, <laughs> like <laughs> and then this poor like 18-year-old behind the screen of Burger King is like, we love you. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's just like progressed and progressed and progressed to the point where we're at now where it's like they don't even care whether or not you hate them or like them. It's kind of like what Alex is saying, like if they can show it on the PowerPoint to the marketing team at the end of the month, then it worked. Exactly. Uh, it's like all PR is good PR yeah. from a brand's perspective. Something else that is really funny is how many people and execs have to actually prove every single tweet and communication that goes out. Yeah, when I used to do social media for brands, sometimes we'd have four layers of approval for a single tweet. I would just like to know how many people saw these tweets that I'm about to read out to you. So in 2019, Netflix tweeted something which said, what's something you can say during sex, but also when you manage a brand Twitter account? Full disclosure, Netflix has been one of my employers, but I did not tweet this, unfortunately. Oh, RIP. Would have been your proudest moment, mate. Um, I'm just going to read out to you three replies from brands. Number one, kettle chips. You can go elbow deep in me. Number two, Mr. Peanut, I need a nut. Number three, absolute vodka, slow down, you want it to last. The mention of Mr. Peanut reminded me of, um, it was a while ago, but they had a release of like a new nut or a new mascot, <laughs> something like that, but it, but it was a baby. It was called like Baby, baby nut, nut. Baby Nut. Wow, okay. And so the, the Baby Nut, the, the character, took over <laughs> the Twitter account of Mr. Peanut mm. and the Twitter account would tweet in the voice of Baby Nut, which was actually just a bunch of like, wah, 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 and like crying emojis. <laughs> and then when they changed it back to Mr. Peanut, all of the tweets still existed. So people just periodically retweet Mr. Peanut being like, is it time for food? Brad, have you ever interacted with the brand? This is very it's confessional. Uh, I, no, but I believe I have. Uh, probably in that... 20, pre-2013 period where everyone was happy and appreciative of, of, <laughs> of brands and you were like, oh, that's kind of cute. But 
probably not in the last six or seven years. Not because I hate them, but more so because it's just like, what am I doing here? Like, why am I interacting with you? When it's yeah. it's now the the switch is flipped, right? In mm. a lot in most people's minds, which is like me contributing to your corporate marketing strategy makes me part of your corporate marketing strategy and I'm not getting paid. 100%. If I'm interacting with the brand, I should be invoicing them. Yeah, absolutely. I feel this way about like all social media use now. Like it is purely <laughs> work to me. I cannot use it for pleasure. Even on my personal accounts, it feels like a form of labor regardless of whether or not it's a brand or like me thinking about how I operate and exist as a human on social media, like after you get paid to do social media, it all becomes work to you. It's ruined. It's salad. That's really nice. That's good. I'm sure being online is great for you. I mean, you don't know how to be human on social media, but neither do brands, clearly. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, well, being a brand on social media broke my ability to be a human. <laughs> is that your your book, your next book? <laughs> I think Patricia Lockwood wrote it better than I did. It's not for lack of trying on brands' parts, though. I mean, Alex, we've both worked in these <laughs> extremely regimented organizations um, which have very well-defined tones of voice and personas for the brand that are very particularly thought out people. Yes, um, um, I, I've had brand tone guidelines that say that the voice should be sassy with a hint of snark and that this very large corporate entity should sound like a teenage girl. This was circa Tumblr days when Lord was seen as the coolest person on the internet and that is the voice that we got asked to adopt. I will do you one better and say that in my experience, there has been a certain brand. <laughs> I love it, sorry. And a certain account um, in which I had to write all copy from the perspective of a 25-year-old non-binary person of colour living in inner West Sydney. <laughs> Ooh. Is that cultural appropriation? <laughs> we, how, well, do you, how do you tweet like that without saying like, hey, everyone, it's me, the 25-year-old non-binary person? <laughs> well, I think that was the challenge I had to wrestle right. every day at my job. Um, but I think it really does feed into this whole idea. You said, Alex, that the cool thing back when you were tweeting like a teenage girl was to be a teenage girl. I guess the equivalent is that the cool thing to be on the internet now, and I use quote-unquote, I don't cancel me for saying this, but the cool thing to be on the internet now is a 25-year-old non-binary person of colour um, in the sense that it's what the internet considers woke based on like identity politics discourse, right? And I think so many brands are leaning into this sense of identity politics and even ap- appropriating identity politics. I mean, we've seen like big huge social movements be co-opted by brands and they've received rightful criticism and mockery for it. There is almost an expectation now that brands will be activists, will be participating in those conversations and that it's a problem when they don't, which is pretty wild to me given that if you're a publicly listed company then your only job is to make money for your shareholders. <laughs> when I think about like unfortunate brand co-opting I think I was really just thinking I mean if you count I guess Anzac as an identity I was oh just thinking God. of. <laughs> oh fresh in our memories. The this? infamous Woolies tweet which said lest we forget fresh in our memory. Well <laughs> they actually they it wasn't just a tweet it was an engagement it campaign whole... where they were asking people to share 
Anzac legacies and Anzac stories. Fresh ones. With the hashtag <laughs> fresh at our memories. That was an amazing day for me personally <laughs> because I was, uh, no, let me explain. I was I was working at BuzzFeed at the time. It was, they, re- they launched the campaign at like 6 p.m. at night or something deranged. Yeah. And I was driving somewhere mm. and Lane, uh, one of my colleagues there, Lane Sainty, messaged me just being like, have you seen what Woolworths <laughs> are doing? And I was like, no. And I pulled over my car <laughs> to be like, oh. And then you instantly <laughs> wrote an article about it. I think. Because the campaign was ripe for content. It, yeah. it's. <laughs> I think it lasted 12 hours. I don't oh, think my God. I mean, I feel like personally that's the Australian legacy, fresh in our memories. I mean, like that's our answer to the crazy 9-11 tweets that we see from the US. But I feel like... In Australia, there was just an immediate kickback and it was instantly (laughs) decreed unacceptable by absolutely everyone, except every year from the US, we see the branded 9-11 tweets coming. I saw one that was particularly insane in doing research for this podcast that was like, um, it was a clothing retailer saying 9 plus 11 equals 20% off all of our orders today. How is that real? (laughs) I'm absolutely not joking. And then obviously (laughs) the infamous Veggie Tales 9-11 post. (laughs) The animated cartoon featuring a capsicum <laughs> commemorating 9-11. <laughs> but then on the other hand, I feel like during BLM, there were also brands which almost stepped out of their usual voices to post quite, like, lauded and quite shocking statements that then were praised. Like, I'm thinking of a post from Bratz, um, which quoted Desmond Tutu saying, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. Thank you, Bratz. That went out on the Bratz Instagram. Um, And it was widely praised. Kind of indicates as well how lucrative it is when you get it right, that these brands Mm. are willing to, which is a very thin tightrope, to like walk that continually with like every social movement whether it's black lives matter or me too or whatever's next like they're like okay we have to we have to make a stance and you have to wonder how many people are in that room saying maybe we don't like maybe baskin and robbins doesn't need to have a stance on this social movement. But then at the same time, they have to because right. their main competition is Ben and Jerry's yeah. who own famously. <laughs> famously own a social movement tweet because, you know, being a an activist brand is kind of at their core essence and has been for a very long time, like pre-internet. Brands that centre around content like Netflix are also very adept at leveraging identity politics. Like they have multiple different Twitter accounts that speak to specific audiences like most, which speaks to an LGBTIQ audience and strong black lead. And they'll adopt the language and the causes of that highly specific identity audience that they've set up their brand account to service. But of course, then it gets them into hot water. Like recently when the Dave Chappelle saga went down, Most, which is a Twitter account and online presence that is run entirely by queer staff, then had to account for the fact that there was transphobic content on Netflix. Um, And it raised these really interesting issues about who is actually accountable when brands do things and also how when you humanise a brand, you place these very unrealistic expectations on the brand to be a person that they then can't live up to. That desire to personify yourself, I think, has really 
they've invited the backlash in. They've opened the floodgates to critique by chasing engagement through politics and by flirting with digital politics. Like you don't really know what you're making eyes at as a brand and you're probably going to end up with your pants down because you can't practice what you preach. What? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. What's next for brand Twitter? I mean, like, I feel like we've talked about, you know, brands moving from this very innocent Obama-era place into this more shit-posting, cursed memes place, now into identity politics. What's the future of brand content? So I think the potential future of this stuff is actually happening right now with Lush, a very well-known for their social activism, cosmetics and bath bomb brand that last week announced they were quitting Facebook, Instagram and TikTok because social media is toxic and corrosive. Now, they would probably know better than many people how toxic and corrosive social media is because this brand has stepped on so many landmines, some of which are to do with their inability to live up to their core values. For instance, they were embroiled in serious industrial action in their warehouses in Australia, which Guardian Australia has great reporting on, and some of which is just to do with different sides of political debates, both taking umbrage with their campaigns. So they've decided to delete their accounts. The thing when I saw it, I was like, why wouldn't you just just post pictures? <laughs> like, you know, like you don't have, you could still have an, an account and just post nice pictures of soap. Like you don't. Yeah, but people can still post mean comments under those true. pictures and then you have to pay someone to moderate them. That's true. That's true. That's true. Brad, what's your, what's your take for the future of brand social media? Oh, it's very depressing as most of the future of the internet is. I think the future of brand Twitter is a form of social internet marketing that has existed already for a few years that most are probably not aware of or would be aware of it and ignore. And that is the use of influencers and other accounts and other personalities online as kind of shells to represent your brand without them necessarily having to be transparent about that. I know that a lot of brands and a lot of Influences are transparent, but most, I would guess, are not. And I, and I also think what we're also heading towards is what the internet is now, which is like going to the mall. Like you, it's all marketing. You are for sale. Everything you do online is for sale. It's very depressing. It's very sad. And you are constantly being sold to. And it's just brands are just figuring out more and more ways to make that less obvious. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the brand personality on, on a Twitter account or on an Instagram account 
is kind of like the Trojan horse version of that, where you're like, no, we're fun and we're up front and, and we just like to share memes. And if you ever want to see something crazy, if there's a really big brand you follow, go to their Facebook page, go to Facebook Transparency. You just have to scroll down a bit and see what other ads they're running. And that will probably give you a better indication of who they're targeting and why and how. That's such a great point about micro-targeting, Brad. I actually have done this for McDonald's and while their tone on their main Facebook page is super jokey, they had eight different ad campaigns running and they were about everything from a collaboration they did with an influencer, which was selling cartoon socks, to changes in their environmental policies and every single one of these kind of more targeted ads was in a super different tone and probably for a totally different audience. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, Michael is going to explain to me why the youth are swapping Snapchat passwords. Why are they doing it? Michael, you showed me a viral tweet this week and I am super confused. So you are going to explain to me what is going on in a segment I am naming Snapped for Later because (laughs) I don't know how Snapchat works. I will be today your spunky Snapchat spelunker. Dive into the cave. We're diving into the cave of Snapchat. This is a tweet that is going to sound mind-blowing at first, but bear with me. It's actually a very real and very important part of Snapchat and potentially all friendships And something that I know all too well, uh, because I've been there myself. So, Alex, this tweet that you mentioned, this is a tweet that I've been thinking about every single night as I fall asleep. It is an iconic tweet from a user called Ben Kesslin, um, someone who informs all of my own social norms personally. But um, in the tweet, there are three attached photos. They're screenshots from a Google Doc. And the tweet reads, My cousin, 15, went to sleepaway camp and left these instructions in a Google Doc for my other cousin, 14, who was taking over her Snapchat account for the month. Okay, like, can we begin here? Why would you hand the keys of your private social media account over to another human? This is incomprehensible <laughs> to me. It's like handing someone a map to where you've buried the bodies. What is she doing? Alex Gorman, have you heard of a thing called Snapchat streaks? I have heard of a thing called Snapchat streaks, but I do not know them from the kind of streaks you'd find in your underwear. <laughs> oh my God. Please cut this, please cut this, please cut this. We are absolutely not cutting this. Anyway, for everyone else who was alive and on Snapchat from 2015 and onwards, streaks will be very familiar to you. Um, Essentially, it's like a counter which tallies the number of days that you and your friend have consecutively snapped each other. So if you and your friend both send a photo to each other that day, that's one day of a streak and then it keeps counting upwards until it is broken by a certain day where one of you maybe fails to snap the other one and then it resets to zero. Look, you can gamify all sorts of areas of your life. But especially friendships. Um, and Snapchat has proven because if you're going somewhere with no Wi-Fi, tradition is you hand off your login to someone else as this 15-year-old did to a 14-year-old cousin. I really want to read out to you some other elements of this doc. It starts with... Don't lose, as in don't lose the streak with. If the little timer thing pops up, double snap. Okay, what what is a double snap? A double snap means that you just send them two Snapchats. And the little timer thing means that your 24 hours of a lot of time for your Snapchat streak to take place is almost up. So I guess to be extra safe, you double snap them. 
the ones with a star next to, it says in this document, don't send a wall or a ceiling pic. Slash, you can send a face pic if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to, obviously. Okay, so does this mean (laughs) that... The youths, in an effort to maintain their streaks, are literally just texting each other pictures of the wall. Oh, absolutely. You will not be surprised at all to learn how many times to maintain a streak. I would send out a Snapchat that was like a very zoomed in photo of my face with the caption streak to about like 100 people in the year 2017. Uh, (laughs) Another really important rule here, um, talking about the perfunctory snap, she says, don't say streaks. If you're snapping someone, don't say streaks. <laughs> right, but the whole point of handing over the keys to your Snapchat is to maintain, maintain the, the streaks. streaks. Why can't you just call a horse a horse? Look, I feel like this is where I've gotten old because I would very much have just said streaks back in the day. Which And it leads me to think that, you know, these kids are cooler. Are they cooler if they're engaging in exactly the same behaviour but just pretending that they're not? Is that... I mean, I guess all coolness is just a form of self-delusion. Exactly. But I'll go to the next instruction, um, and I think this is going to be our personal favourite, Alex. She says, if there is a post about someone's birthday and it is a guy that you think I might find hot, please add them. Gosh, I hope she and her cousin have similar taste in young people. (laughs) Well, if the latest season of Gossip Girl is anything to go by, cousins always fall for the same man. Yeah, like, so talk to me about, like, the pressure to maintain a streak. What does that feel like? This is a whole thing, and I feel like back in back in my day, it was really it was almost like a status symbol. If you and your friend had a an eight hundred day long Snapchat streak, that was like the pinnacle. You were you were best friends for life, and you could show off to everyone else that your friendship was better than their friendship because right. you had a longer Snapchat streak. The streaks are partly a public display. Like everyone's streaks are displayed. No, so you can only see your streak with your own contacts, often as I would do is if it was someone's birthday on Facebook, for example, I would set, I would post a screenshot of our Snapchat streak on their wall being like, happy birthday, 800 day streak or something dumb like that. And in fact, one time me and my best friend at the time lost our Snapchat streak. Oh no. In an incredibly Whose fault was it? unjust circumstances. Neither of us had missed a day. We had both snapped each other every single day and yet our Snapchat streak had been lost. What did you do? I was forced to send a highly embarrassing email to Snapchat in the year <laughs> 2015. I sent an email to support at snapchat.com in the incredibly like self-righteous tone that only a 17-year-old could adopt. <laughs> um, did, it, did this work? It really did work. So I emailed them saying, Dear Snapchat... I am writing to express my companion and I's utter disappointment upon discovering that we had lost our Snapchat streak this morning, despite the exchange of multiple Snapchats both yesterday and today. I'm getting a real, like, I want to speak to the manager (laughs) energy from this. Absolutely. In fact, I say in this email, to say that we were disappointed would be an understatement. We were horrified, devastated even by this discovery. Um, Luckily, the Snapchat streak was then safely restored, although this friendship did not last long after that. Michael, it makes me so happy when you write your Outlook outbox for us. Do you feel like we are exponentially turning our like lives and friendships into games? Like, Are we being gamified by these systems? Or is this just something that's like not even new at all and it's always going to happen? 
I think that these systems are gamifying us. You know, they all want to encourage as much engagement as possible, like share of eyeballs, share of rent in your brain. And unless you kind of seek out products that are actively not trying to suck you in for as long as possible, of course they're going to pull whatever levers they can to hold your attention. So yeah, it is increasing exponentially and the way to get around it is to pay for things that promise not to do that to you. Or, I mean, maybe we're just looking too deeply into this completely. Um, I mean, as Ben Kesslin says about his Snapchat cousin in a follow-up tweet, he says, if you're looking to use my iconic cousin and her meticulous planning to pontificate on the state of youth today, no love heart. So now we're going to close out with top of the list where we share our favourite cultural moments and products from the last week. Neither Michael nor I are going to endorse Wes Anderson's new film, The French Dispatch, because it turns out we both didn't like it at all. But Michael, what did you actually like this week? I will week? be endorsing another film um, called Titan, or if you are like me, Anna Wanker, you can also pronounce it as Titan. Um, it's a French movie that has been has received notoriety as like the movie where a woman has sex with a car. Is this the one where people fainted at the film festival? Many people fainted at Sydney Film Festival when watching it, but it actually turns from this like very shocky, jockey movie into something that's like a quite profound and wholesome reflection on family. So I highly recommend it. It's out in cinemas now. And Alex, what's your top of the list? <laughs> uh, so I'm recommending a super fun beach read despite our very unbeach weather. It is called You Had Me at Pet Nat and it's by Rachel Singer. It just came out in Australia and it's like eat, pray, love, but for natural wine. It is a memoir and it's really gossipy and parts of it are set in Australia. It's great. You should read it. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like the show, you should absolutely subscribe to Saved for Later wherever you get your podcasts and also leave us a review. But only if it's positive. Like, if it's negative, don't do it. Why would you do that? Don't do things like that elsewhere. I'm too fragile. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert, Krishma Luthria and Joe Koning, who also handcrafted the music. And we will be here again in your feeds next week because our feeds just don't stop. your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.